Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Hour number two of 360 underway across the Outkick network. 6th and Peabody, our home each and every day with the Yaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine crew all here today as well. A lot to get to. Armando Salguero joins us in 20 minutes. NFL headlines and discussion with Goodell, Snyder, the Browns, trade market for Baker Mayfield, and and much more. That's all coming up in 20 minutes. We will also be joined in studio by Jacob Phillips, linebacker for the Cleveland Browns, and, uh, of course, uh, local product here in Middle Tennessee in Nashville, and uh, played college football for the LSU Tigers, national champion in 2019. He'll be in studio with us an hour from right now. Controversy last night in the Stanley Cup final. Avalanche win in game four. But the the real story is it goes to overtime. It's a fantastic game back and forth. And Just what Tampa, I've been complaining has been missing. Tampa, you know, I'm, I'm watching this going, the Lightning are doing it again. Where they have trailed in a series and we have counted them out, and in their mantra of running it back to back to back, here they go again with a chance to tie the series. And what, and I'm already playing it out, what the flight back to Colorado would be like for the Avalanche, who destroyed Tampa in the first two games, only to potentially, in the hypothetically, lose two straight and return back home. Now they lead 3-1, and... We feel as though you can you should, can crown them. Should right? have a handle on it. Well, so the the goal in overtime initially is very confusing, and it leads to even more confusion after the broadcast ends. We were watching this, guys, and the goal there was a goal with uh, Colorado and Nashville in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, where the puck actually went through the top of the net. It like broke the net behind the goaltender. Uh, behind UC Soros. And Colorado ended up winning that game, of course. They swept Nashville. But I'd never seen anything like that, where the puck like broke the net, and you could not tell, because of the trajectory of the puck, whether or not, in real time, it was a goal. Because it looked as though, on camera, and, and the broadcasters thought this too, it went over the top of the net, and then hit the, and hit the boards behind the goal. Did you say UC Soros? Yeah. Okay. He's talking about a Preds game. Right? Okay, yeah, I'm explaining Preds game, the Preds yeah, game gotcha. in the first round with Colorado. And last night was very similar to that, um, at least from a broadcast standpoint. On replay, it was obvious that it was a goal. But because watching it... Because the puck it, never comes out, so it has to be in the net, and it's stuck in the top yeah, of the net. Yeah, it's stuck. It but looks nobody wrapped around knew the top what was going on. There were... There were Ten people, and we could get a replay. Kadri, who scored the goal, nobody knew what happened. But I think, and Hut, you saw the celebration much more quickly than I did. Behind, well, the camera's over at cut center to ice, it. 
And they were watching, I think, on the big board and saw very clearly that the puck was in the net. But everybody that was going to the play, including the officials there, just lost it and didn't know where it went. Yeah, I mean, it was... And, it was and Sean confusing. McDonough had no idea where it went, and I don't begrudge him. I mean, he didn't have the clearest view of it. And also, he's looking to the officials to signal a goal. He's yeah. looking for the goal scorer to react. He's looking for a defenseman to start skating off. Uh, it was a very confusing end. And I stuck with it. I listened to the interview with, uh, with Kadri and everything, and I flipped away, and I didn't know that there was further controversy. After well, this. so post-game, I'm just flooding Twitter and then just watching comments and, you know, it, Tampa's saying, well, there were too many men on the ice. There, we're going to go back and look at there's too many men on the ice. Come to find out there were, and not just like briefly, like it, it's, if this was a long shift, both teams were dying. Yeah. And it was a, a fantastic, I mean, Colorado was putting the heat on the overtime period. I mean, they, they, they battled back throughout the, throughout the game and uh, never had the lead until they had it uh, at the very end in overtime. Point being, they they were extremely close. the The lightning were on on their heels in overtime, and so you're on the edge of your seat, going, "Colorado's going to win this." And sure enough, they do. But for it to go down like that, and for it to be a three one now deficit, where it could have been two two with the way hockey's played and puck luck and whatever else you want to uh, uh, bounces and everything. For that to be missed is so disappointing. That's like that's the only way I can describe that is you have a chance to not this series two two, and for Colorado to gain the momentum off that it was a goal, but there were also too many men on the ice at the time. That that's a bummer. Officiating blunder at a crucial moment of a crucial game, which really swings the series. You're talking three one versus two two. Yes, was the so the the photo that I, I've seen the the video of the end, but the photo, it's weird. The photo that's circulating of here are the six men on the ice and they count them out, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. The sixth guy is within the five feet radius of the bench, which that's when it becomes a, uh, a what the NHL came back and said they didn't admit any fault. They said it is a, um, what do they call it? Um, a judgment call by the officials. Well, yeah. If they're within five minutes, if they're within five feet of the bench, and off. the guy was going off five feet from the bench when it, it happened. They, 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 are, they have reports and video footage. It takes McKinnon over five seconds as the goal is being scored to get back off the ice onto the bench. So just based on the time length alone, as you move across ice, he's further than five feet so that picture, as the goal is that scored. that picture is conveniently timed, perhaps, where uh, – the. They took that within five feet, but it, it, he was further. It is a early. it is a weird scenario that didn't get live coverage. Uh, number one, because it's late in the evening. And they went. To they news. go into overtime. They get off of ABC, right? They go to local news. They want their affiliates to be able to run their commercials. That you know, pay so they can pay their bills. And so you've got that issue. They get off their coverage. They're not going to come back out and play the game anyway. But it was just lost in the moment, right? And there's just ah, that sucks. It just it, it was a great game, and I wish the series were two two. And there's no there's no telling what happens. Colorado probably ends up winning anyway with the way they were playing. But um, nonetheless, we could have had a, a, a you tie never series. know what happens in overtime. The strangest thing to me was two things. One, the the post game stat sheet had six men on the ice in the official report. 
They have players on the ice when the goal is scored, and they actually, the NHL, published it as these six men were on the ice when the goal was scored, and then they took that back and changed it to five men after it started circulating with the press. Oh, they're saying six men were on there. And most of the media didn't know up until John Cooper was crying. I mean, literally in tears. Like He was emotional in the postgame. said, I can't even talk about it right now. And you're all about to see it. You're all about to see how we got robbed tonight because of they had they had six men on the ice. And I'm uh, bizarre. Yeah. I it mean, a weird look, scene. I understand uh, that the sports are emotional, but I mean, you just won two Stanley Cups the last two years. Like, chill out. Well, you, you've won it twice before, and come on. They, they've won it twice before. They have, with this series, the chance to go down as one of the all time great teams and runs in not just hockey history, but in professional sports. When you consider how difficult it is to win in the NHL postseason and how they've gone about it the last two years with COVID restrictions, uh, going from that to uh, injuries and salary, salary cap, cap issues to then, uh, and, and that was on a reduced season. And then this year they're saying, well, reduced season, do it again. And then to make it back and to do it the way they've done it, um, it I'm not going to question Colorado. Colorado is awesome. Very good. They, they might be the best constructed team that the NHL has ever seen in regards to the salary cap era of things with just how their money is spent and who their star players are and how often they come to play. But nonetheless, um, we, I'll, I'll look back on it, especially if Colorado ends up winning in five. Because it, it was, they smoked Tampa at home. I understand Cooper being upset. And no issue with that. I'd be upset too if I were him or any player on that team. It was just that level of emotion that I saw is something I would expect from, you know, Joe Madden when the Cubs yeah. were about well. to win the World Series, where there's, you know, people being held on by a plug in the nursing home to watch it happen. If they got robbed in a game and stole that moment after so long of not winning, you know, a World Series, that's the type of, that's the level of emotion I expect. Not someone who'd won the last two Stanley Cups. Hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts, at OutKick360. So, uh, right as the hockey game is coming to an end last night, turning on FanDuel, I'm you know lo- loading the app, I'm looking around, and the gambling odds shifted dramatically in the favor of Boncaro last night. Up to, like, he was the clear-cut favorite around midnight Eastern. And then by the time I check it today, it's flipped back. And there must either there was a ton of money that came in um, on from from one or two you know big bets that that ultimately flipped things in a big favor towards the the former Duke prospect Chad, or there is some inside information with what's going on. Because it, I, I understand ESPN's covering this and they're trying to build up as much as they can with tonight's draft, but. With all of the their NBA insiders, they're saying they don't really know how things are going to go top five, which is a bit unusual. And for the odds makers at BetMGM and then FanDuel and others to flip it and then for a couple of hours and then it flips back, I'm fascinated by this. So it flipped. Uh, so it was from Jabari Smith. Who? Jabari Smith was the overwhelmingly uh, betting favorite to be the number one overall selection. And it flipped last night to Boncaro. Now it's back to Smith. And it's big time back to Smith. But he was already, up until midnight last night, he was the overwhelming favorite. Like you, 
you, you pretty much bank on him. If you're trying to do a parlay and pick the top five, you would have him number one, and it would be obvious. And then it, would ju- it just made a, a it made Twitter noise last night. Was, oh, they, they must have some scoop here because the odds have flipped. Now, is this – I also thought this last night. This is also on the eve of the NBA draft where, you know, if this were the NFL, we'd be talking about this two months ago. And here we are discussing the NBA draft because of the odds shifting the way they did. I mean, maybe the Magic are just really good at keeping a secret until the, the last moment. And maybe. we really don't know what they're doing. I, I bet on Chet Holmgren plus 2,300 for a dollar at number one just as a flyer because the odds are plus 2,300. The Athletic has him going number one. With him right now. I mean, uh, yeah, it's crazy. So right now, Jabari Smith is minus – this is FanDuel. Jabari Smith minus 280. Bancaro plus 200. Chet Holmgren plus 2,300. Jaden Ivey plus 20,000 for the number one overall pick. So Jabari Smith is a pretty overwhelming favorite at this point to be the number one overall pick. Which leads me to believe, Hutton, there is absolutely inside information that that's the pick so number one for the Magic. It went from minus 275 to at midnight last night, plus 150 for Jabari Smith. Um, and then right now it's minus 10,000. Or this morning it was minus 10,000. Like it was just all, just bouncing all over the place. Um, and, you know, people are more interested in making sure they get their, their picks right, their bets in, than they are. Who, who Orlando's going to end up uh, taking. But, um, yeah, top five will be interesting because we, for the first time in a while, I feel like I've, I know some of the players involved, right? Like, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where Ivy ends up um, because he does not want to play in Sacramento. A lot, of the, uh, a lot of the mocks have him going number four to Sacramento. He has made it known he does not want to play for the Kings. He wants to play for the Knicks. Knicks want him. And the Knicks love him. Yeah. I mean, so that's one side storyline I'm watching other than where Chet Holmgren ends up based on his height and and the fact that he weighs uh, about as much as, uh, I don't know, this rug in front of us. I saw an interesting thing Under on 200 Holmgren. pounds at uh, over seven feet I saw tall. an interesting thing from Jay Billis yesterday crazy. on Holmgren who said, you know, his brain is wired. To say a guy like Holmgren has to be bigger, um, you know, it's not right. All of that. His brain, like most of our brains, is wired that way. But in today's NBA, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's okay. He's a perim- he, he is a perimeter player. And because he's a perimeter player, it doesn't matter. You have to unconvince yourself that his bulk is a factor because you have to unconvince yourself that he is going to be near the rim as much as you think when you look at a guy that size and presume that he's going to be near the rim because he's a perimeter player. And he said it so well, it was on PTI, but like that his brain is wired to believe you look at a guy like that, you picture him near the rim and you think he's going to get the hell beat out of him. But he's not because he's not going to be near the rim like you think he's going to be near the rim. He's going to be near the rim, though, because he has to guard someone. And whoever yes. he guards at this point is going to be able to muscle him down low, even if that player's 6'4". I mean, if, he, if they put him on Grant Williams of the Celtics, Grant Williams will move from the perimeter Take him to the down rim. low yep. and just beat the you-know-what out of him down low. And he's not going to be able to do anything but you know fold up like a tent 
five feet below the basket and get knocked out of bounds. But I, I, would, I, I get what you're saying, and I think the same thing. But at least half the time, he can dictate the other way, right? On the offensive end of the floor. Sure. He, I mean, he can he stay can out at the three-point line the whole time and never drive down low if he wants. But and he has a good in handle. The, in the NBA, you have to guard someone. That's why these guys have these bodies. But it's also the right era. Right, if he was playing like when well, we talked to Ralph Sampson, Ralph Sampson said, "If I was playing now, I could go to the rim and not get hammered all the time, like I did in my era. Now the path to the rim is much freer than it was in my era." Also, just the wear and tear of the the knees. Yeah, and, and well, I, I think you worry about that anyway with a guy that size, right? Any but, guy. But in the era, it's also the era of load management. So, are you investing in a guy who you think? You know, uh, could it? You always could break down, but is more likely to do it because of the wear and tear of what Chad's saying on the defensive end. Uh, and are you more cautious of that because of that issue, based uh, just based on how much you're going to get out of that selection versus the other two or three top prospects in the draft? Well, I mean, I really like what Dockich told us, right? You know, you look at uh, at guys like that. And he feels like it's always less valuable than if you take the, is it Arizona State kid or Ivy, and that those guys wind up being the, the better long-term. Well, Benedict Matherin from yeah. Arizona, yeah. you're saying. That, that wind up being the better long-term pick, but they're not as shiny yeah, they don't tonight. Have, yeah, they, they're not seven plus, right? right? Like that, that's the difference. It is. It's difficult to argue with Chet Holmgren's unique combination of size, shot-blocking ability, shooting, ball handling, all of that. But it is also very difficult for me to argue against Jabari Smith's pure shooter ability at 6'10", 6'11", what we saw at Auburn, and he's got more of an NBA-ready body. a couple inches. And Paolo Bancaro absolutely has an NBA body. Yes. As a freshman at Duke. And he can shoot it. He can put it on the floor. He can muscle guys. I mean, those... Those three guys at the top, it's one of those where I'm. you just throw your hands up and say, looks like a good pick. Wherever the magic go with that, with that pick at number one, I'm thinking, good pick. Well, Tough to go wrong with those three guys. That's why it's kind of a comfortable position. Who's third? You take the one that's left, and, and you don't have to do the deciding. Well, it's crazy because um, who's got the second pick? I don't even have it in front of me right now. Chet Holmgren's the overwhelming favorite to go second. So even with the debate between Jabari Smith and Bancaro being either going to the one or one of them's going number one to the Magic, Chet Holmgren's plus twenty two hundred. Whoever's got the second pick is not passing on Chet Holmgren. It's Thunder Rockets. There you go. Uh, Kings, top four, and then the fifth pick is Detroit. And then do the Knicks are the Knicks able to get up and get Ivy at some point? See, so Ivy probably isn't going third. He's probably going. He's, he's predicted fourth. Fourth. He's predicted fourth. And a lot of these guys, like it, it's so difficult to mock the NBA draft because of the trades that take place. There's so many trades. You know, this how many guys will wear hats where they never even crazy. step foot in the, and don't even talk to the GM there? You know. Uh, coming up, Armando Salguero joins us. NFL news notes topics. We start with the House Oversight Committee and their conversation yesterday with Roger Goodell. The news from that and what is expected as we move forward with Washington Commanders owner Daniel Snyder. We'll hit that. We'll hit Tony Saragusa's passing. And are the Browns now in the market to trade for another quarterback? 
is Armando buying the scenario of Garoppolo in Cleveland? We'll ask him that and more next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Glad you're with us. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Armando Salguero will join us. Uh, coming up in just a matter of minutes. Looking forward to talking uh, NFL headlines with him. If you're listening across the Outkick Network on Sports Radio 104.7 across the Upper Cumberland, we say hello to you. Somo Sports Radio in Joplin, Missouri, live with us this afternoon. Uh, Fox Sports Shoals in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, in Huntsville and in Florence, Alabama. Uh, glad you're with us, and as always, uh, love that we've added 94.9 The Fan to the Outkick 360 family right here in Nashville. Um, by the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Outkick360. The, the trade discussion now for the Browns is interesting, and you know, there's a story out that they could do, they could try to work something where it's Mayfield for Garoppolo. Um. Paul, I'm always like, this is like reports like this drive me nuts because for months it is assumed that financially you just can't make it work with the salary cap. You just can't get it going. And then here we are after minicamp where there's no mini availability for another month and there's a report out like this. And now there's a separate report that Seattle may be interested in Mayfield now. Well, the 49ers, the 49ers may want Mayfield back, and, and that's fine. The, the one that drove me crazy was Carolina, like that the Browns uh, would want Darnold back. I mean, just because Carolina would like to offload Darnold in the money may matchup doesn't mean you have to take the other team's crappy quarterback when you're unloading the quarterback that you want to unload. If I'm the Browns, well, I have no interest in Sam Darnold. Well, it's Brissett, uh, you're, but you're – that may be part of just trying to unload Baker Mayfield at this point. But I'd take him and I'd cut him. So I'd tell you just, I mean, if that's the You'd cut him if Deshaun Watson suspended for the full season? Well, it, uh, probably. No. no. I mean, I, I, I would. Sam Darnold isn't, isn't a solution to me in Cleveland or anyone. There well, are we, no solutions, though, really, outside yeah. of Deshaun Watson not getting suspended. <laughs> if you're looking at actual playoff-bound solutions. Armando Salguero has a solution. Armando, how are you? Uh, I'm going to get into the news from uh, Capitol Hill in a moment, but while we are waiting to uh, to chat with you, we brought up Mayfield and the trade options. Do you buy them? Uh, yes, I buy them because they have to do something. I, I think we've talked, at, you know, for a long time that Baker Mayfield in Cleveland is not a thing. Uh, it would it would take an enormous uh, 180 for him to ever play another down for the Cleveland Browns. The Carolina Panthers are looking for an upgrade. The Seattle Seahawks are looking for an upgrade. We know this. And there's only a couple of guys that they can go to. And those couple of guys are one, Baker Mayfield, and two, Jimmy Garoppolo. So 
pick one and go with because there is nothing else. And by the way, the market isn't likely to shrink. It's possibly going to expand if you get into training camp and a quarterback goes down. And now you've got a desperate team that needs a starter and they're going to look to those guys. Armando, before we get into Roger Goodell's appearance before Congress, and we will get into that, I have to give you credit for really doing the difficult work and watching J-Lo's documentary on Netflix. Someone's got to do the hard work, and you decided to watch this thing for the good of OutKick and write a story about the objections that the NFL had to her halftime show, which apparently were different for people in cages versus the female sign that was going to be on the halftime show. Can you help explain what exactly went on in this documentary? Yeah, it wasn't. So the NFL was freaked out about the cages, Chad, no doubt about it. They, you know, that was at a time where the national media was making a big deal about the Trump administration uh, over the course of a couple of days that they separated children from their, you know, adults and put the kids in cages. Of course, they didn't mention the fact that the cages were first used by the Obama administration. So there was that. However, the guy who directed that show, he was freaked out that J-Lo wanted to put that woman symbol uh, on the field and make a make a statement about, you know, I am woman, I am strong, all that. And look, apparently I missed it. I don't remember the moment where women became divisive, where <laughs> being a woman was something that offended someone. I, 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 I missed that total moment. In the culture wars? Well, so the director's argument was something about it's too on the nose. He's saying, like, the NFL is freaking out about the cages, but at least there's hidden meaning with putting people in cages. But when you put the female sign on the field, your message is too on the nose. And I'm with you, Armand. I'm hearing that. I'm saying, what is controversial? But that would have been fine. Who who cares? Uh, I like women. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I I love one of them. So, uh, and she happens to be my wife. And, and so I, the idea that women is not inclusive is, I think, uh, uh, it's a bridge too far for me. Um, obviously, for not for some people. Um, you're asking the wrong guy why. And it's, it, the NFL didn't have a problem with the women. The NFL had a problem with the cages. And, oh, by the way, ultimately, both of them were in. Both of them were in the show. We Everybody saw the woman symbol. Uh, the, the camera, if you were at home, I was at the stadium. But if you were at home, they only shot the cages from, like, outer space. And so you couldn't really see the cages that well. Armando, what was the... The biggest lie from Roger Goodell yesterday? That the people that requested confidentiality to go ahead and um, be part of the investigation that was done 
to the Washington Commander's toxic workplace environment um, would not want a report out there. In fact, you know, there have been other NFL investigations where confidentiality was granted and reports were written. And in those reports, people who requested confidentiality had their names redacted from the reports. Whereas yesterday, Roger Goodell is saying, we can't have a report because we can't, uh, you know, tell people who, you know, who is saying what. And there was a congressman who said, and rightly so, you had other reports where people requested confidentiality and their names were redacted and that established confidentiality. Why can't you do the same? So that was the biggest, I think, you called it a lie, Jonathan. I, I, I want to be a little bit more artful and call it a fib and call it a non-truth. you know, truth. But yeah, it was a lie. <laughs> Where did the uh, not knowing anything about Dave Portnoy rank, considering, as Hutton reminded us, Dave Portnoy was the high bidder on the uh, watching a game with Goodell in his basement in that chair. Uh, which the NFL rejected. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't know what Roger Goodell knows and doesn't know about uh, the barstool president, Paul. I really don't. Uh, I know that a lot of people know the guy. I had a little run in with him, I think like six years ago. And trust me, I am aware that he, um, you know, he's got followers. And so, Look, the idea that Dave Portnoy came up in a in a congressional hearing <laughs> and some other stuff that came up, Deflate Gate came up in that congress, you know, the 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 altitude of games and Deflate Gate coming up. I felt like my tax dollars, your tax dollars, everybody's tax dollars were probably being, you know, kind of misspent right then and there. How much more misspent do you feel they'll be uh, next week, considering what we're likely to hear or not hear from Dan Snyder? I don't think Dan Snyder is going to show up. Uh, I really don't. Uh, and I think that he's going to hire a legion of lawyers, if it, if it comes to that, to make sure that, you know, he doesn't have to show up. I would be surprised if Dan Snyder does in fact show up under subpoena, um, first of all, the subpoena hasn't been issued yet, but I would be surprised if that's the case. My, what I've been told is he's trying to run out the clock. Look, there's an election coming up in November. And in that election, um, most political pundits would tell you they expect the majority in the House to change dramatically from majority Democrat to majority majority Republican. And once or if that happens, Dan Snyder is not going to have to, you know, be in front of Congress and definitely not in front of the Oversight Committee. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to run up the clock. What is, I discussed this yesterday and threw this question out, Armando, and, and help me with this, if there's even a possibility 
of something truly great coming from all this. What is the best conclusion to all of this? Is it simply that the NFL has to turn over all of their findings, that there's more transparency, even if not in this case, in the future, that we learn more about John Gruden's side of things and the lawsuit against the NFL? Like, What actually comes of all of this that's happening right now? Well, I would really like for there to be a report and redact the names. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, I, I haven't heard anyone make a cogent argument against that. Um, and so that's where I think would be the, the, you know, the sweet spot. I'm obviously a reporter. I always want more transparency and more information. Now, if it comes to, you know, a point where the people that did in fact, um, help the investigation under confidentiality agreements, you know, voice to the people involved that they would have a problem even with redaction of their names. Then I could see that too, because what you, what you really want is, and what the NFL says that it's protecting is future investigations. They want people who are um, insiders who are whistleblowers, who know what happened to talk to their investigators so that they come to a a rightful end in an investigation with all the information that they can have. And they say that the confidentiality is a vehicle for getting that. And if they betray that confidentiality, they say, they being the NFL say, that it puts future investigations at risk. As long as it's an investigation on ownership, if this is on Deshaun Watson, they don't care if the names are redacted. Well, I mean, with Deshaun Watson, you know, it's it's public because the lawsuits are public, right? Well, in order for a name to be redacted, Armando, th- that would mean the names would have to be written down somewhere. Yeah. This is just a verbal report. So if they if they did do this, they would be writing the report for the first time, right? I I have a feeling that there's a report. <laughs> and obviously the NFL submitted a summary uh, report for public consumption. I would be shocked, and they say that it's a verbal report. I would be shocked if someone did, doesn't have some sort of record-keeping of a report. How does this compare to the internal investigation slash report of the Miami Dolphins from what feels like a decade ago, but it's probably not that long ago? 2014. Okay. And then uh, the flake gate came, I think two or three years later in 2016 or 17. Uh, What was interesting was that, uh, you know, the Congress people were asking for documents and it was 40,000 documents totaling over 160,000 pages reportedly. Whereas the report that was written for the Miami Dolphins, um, you know, workplace harassment scandal, if you want to call it, uh, I think was 148 pages. The 
The deflate gate was 168 pages, give or take. Um, you know, the NFL, it pays handsomely for these reports and for these investigations. They're not free. The people who conduct them, uh, you know, they spend money. It's not uh, something that you just show up one day and you're done. So what I'm getting at is there was a lot of money spent in this last report and the NFL paid for that money. I believe there is a report of some magnitude. And, you know, I don't, again, I don't see a reason why we, even if there wasn't one written, Jonathan, mm -hmm. one, we paid you, write one. So looking at all this, Davey, our next guest is here about to walk in. L looking at all this right now, are things improved with Washington? Because their response from the commanders was an internal memo saying, disregard all the negative publicity right now. We've been working for two years to clean everything up. We are a different organization now. Ron Rivera puts out a No one was asking Ron Rivera for his statement, by the way. No one thinks he's a part of this. But for whatever reason, he decided to put out a second bad statement over two weeks where he's saying, hey, I was hired to help with the football side and clean things up and yada, yada, yada. Are they telling the truth? Is it your understanding, Armando, that things are better right now with the commander's organization? Or is it as simple as, as long as Dan Snyder's running it, it's never going to be that good? Yeah, I don't know. Well, he's running it, but from afar. Because he is not around the team and he has agreed to not be around the team. Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of changes uh, in the front office, in the on the business side, in coaching, in the football side. It can't help but be better, Chad, uh, because apparently it was yeah. terrible. Uh, so it can't help but be better. But is it, uh, I think... Uh, Roger Goodell said it's night and day what it was before. That's not hard to believe because it was dark. It was night before years ago when this was happening. And I, by the way, you've got Jacob Phillips coming in. Ask him to lift you with his bicep. See if it's. <laughs> hey, I have a feeling that if we ever see this written report on the front page, it will be titled verbal report. That's how they're going to work their way around <laughs> the written report being referred to as the verbal report. Um, that they they always find a way. What if it was just and, a voice memo from an iPhone? Yeah, here is our report, and it's just thirty minutes of someone talking into what they found in the investigation. Yes, uh, Armando, thank you as always. We we appreciate the visit uh, today, and uh, we uh, we look forward to uh, the chatting about some upcoming training camps at some point with you. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Sounds good, guys. Be Thanks. well. Armando Salguero, Outkick.com, is the site where you can read all of his NFL news notes and columns. Coming up, Brad Pitt yes. uh, 
speaking of France, so that's, that's where. Uh, <laughs> Say more. <laughs> Uh, Daniel Snyder is vacationing, or he's on business, excuse me, in France. Uh, Brad Pitt was searching for treasure on his property in France. And the reason why is just crazy. That's next, and now kick 360. Former LSU Tiger, current Cleveland Browns linebacker, Jacob Phillips will be in studio with us coming up in hour number three. Our kick 360 rolls on. So Brad Pitt... And it's a, it's a part of a, like a big lawsuit right now, actually, with uh, Angelina Jolie. Brad Pitt uh, admitted that he was tricked into what became a year-long treasure hunt at his French mansion. So did somebody where, slip him a map with a big X on it? So there was, it turns out, like there was this guy. So his mansion, he purchased it for like $28 million, 35 rooms. There is a moat. There is an off-site chapel. Uh, there's a vineyard where it, the vineyard itself is a multi-million dollar producer of rosé wine on an annual basis. Um, and that's part of the lawsuit. Angelina Jolie, uh, I guess she sold her shares in that. And this is Brad Pitt's passion. So there's a lawsuit about whether or not she could have done that or not. Rosé wine is his passion? Oh, yeah. This vineyard and this this mansion. So, But he admits that it was 1,000 acres and uh, Chateau Miraval. Um, is in it, with the French. is uh, where they uh, they're referring to here. So there is this uh, producer of uh, more or less metal detectors. I don't know how else to describe these things. Uh, and he was told that there was like this massive treasure buried somewhere on this property. And so he just went to town trying to find this treasure. And he's from Missouri. He was like, "Look, I'm from the Ozarks. There are always stories of." gold being buried somewhere in the Ozarks growing up. So like you, you just, you're used to stories like that. And he admits that he has been addicted to trying to, f- <laughs> trying to find this treasure. And he, he also fully admits that he was tricked into doing it because this guy was trying to sell him or get him to invest in this product that I got. It doesn't say whether or not he actually de- did. Um, but the, the goal would be to get Brad Pitt to invest more than just buying one <laughs> Of these things, right? So metal detector, yeah, or whatever it is to do, whatever type of treasure, treasure finder, yeah, it's buried treasure. But so, it turned out there were no big X's on the property. There was no treasure map. There was no map. I, I you got to get the map. I just love the fact that Brad Pitt is essentially Nicholas's Cage character from National <laughs> Treasure. Yeah, in real life, that he's obsessed yeah. with treasure and treasure maps. Um. So uh, he he didn't find is it. real. Um, he makes twenty million per film on average, so it's not like he needs to find. It. Can you imagine if, if like, the, he could have done a film in the time that he was searching for the think treasure? Think of how unfair life is. If he if found Brad the treasure, Pitt, twenty million dollars per film. One of the best looking men in the history of men. Uh, you know, married to Angelina Jolie at one point. All of these things going his way, and at his French chateau. There is a buried treasure on the property the, the chateau that Brad Pitt finds. In a, in a town, a little, a, a very small town where there are 800 people that make up this little Riviera. Brad Pitt would pass Tom Brady as most fortunate man in history <laughs> if he found some buried treasure at his French chateau. I'm just picturing him like uh, with, uh, with uh, doubloons running through his hands when he finds it. And I can't see it without it being from a movie. So this it's man- not real life. This French country-style manor was built in 1841. 
926 acres, fountains, gardens, olive groves, woodlands, um, all of the accessories, uh, a moat along with 74 acres of vineyards. Got to have a moat. Um, I mean, the, I would, there's no chance he could describe every nook and cranny of this place, well, right? Him being fooled by this reminds me of the story that George Clooney, I think, told on the Howard Stern show yeah. about the prank he played on him where he gave him the bumper sticker. He put it on his car when they were in Italy shooting one of the Oceans movies or something that basically said, screw the cops in Italian, but he told him it said something else. It had some message that he was behind, so he kept getting pulled over and finally had to tell him the truth. So what we've learned is Brad Pitt is pretty naive when little, it comes to things like gullible. this. L- little, little bit gullible. He, he's, he's, he's like, I, got ex- uh, I was obsessed. How did this get says. out? He admitted it in an interview with GQ. He said, like for a year, this is all I could think about, just the <laughs> excitement of it all. Maybe it has something to do with where I grew up because the Ozark Mountains, there were always stories of hidden caches of gold. <laughs> they didn't find any of those either. Uh, I mean, it's funny that that's... Like, but those have, you know, have existed. Hey, Brad, you I haven't mean, worked a lot lately in movies. What's been going on? I've been hunting yeah, for treasure. treasure hunt. I guess I'll tell you guys now. I got duped into hunting for treasure on my property and I was obsessed with it for over a year. He says that's the, why I haven't done anything. He says the hunt, it was the hunt that was exciting. Good Which, for him. I want the yeah. end of the Goonies with the pirate ship. And no the comment from Angelina on this. Yeah, her reaction. Brad Pitt matter. hasn't had to hunt anything in years <laughs> until this one hunt. Jacob Phillips up next on Outkick 360.